It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You are listening to Sound On We are joined today to help us navigate through a host of different headlines, most notably the U.S.-China trade developments that have happened all day today by Jennifer Holdsworth. She is a Democratic strategist and MWWPR Senior Vice President of Issues Management. She's also a former advisor to Congressman Seth Moulton and former New Jersey State Director for Hillary for America, a friend of the program. And Harmeet Dillon, her first time on the program. She is an RNC committee woman for the state of California, as well as a civil rights attorney and Republican National Lawyers Association board member. Harmeet, welcome. Fresh off the plane. Yes. Happy to be here. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. So we were just listening, Harmeet, to President Trump discuss the potential for some type of an agreement between the U.S., between China, but it's not there yet. And if you look at what the business community is saying that they would like to see, they're a bit uneasy about where things go with tariffs. What do you make of these developments today, especially as the Chinese vice premier concluding his talks with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer? Well, didn't get a chance to hear all the remarks, but I think it is excellent that we are going to see some stability in this relationship. But I think the president has really bought to this debate has been resetting the discussion between these countries. I think China has been taking advantage of the United States on trade issues, on intellectual property, and on, uh, you know, frankly, theft of IP for many years. And it's time that we reset the expectations, and our country cannot be that dependent on another country. So many different moving parts today. Uh, And we'll get to this coming up later on in the program, including that President Trump has selected Herman Cain. Herman Cain. For the Federal Reserve Board, the president saying that he is uh, a top tier level individual who will fit in uh, well at the at the Fed board. Uh, but before we get to that, Jennifer Holdsworth, Democratic strategist, a lot of the, the moving parts today at the White House. And, and I was at the White House earlier today and we were covering the different developments as to what exactly China would agree to. And they are, according to Bloomberg's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, They are saying that they would be open to purchasing more commodities, uh, that the U.S. would be able to purchase Chinese firms, that there would be some 2025 deadlines, so to speak, in terms of uh, the commitment for China to follow through on their commitments. And then a 90 to 180 day window potentially as a as a checkpoint to see if China's uh, getting on the right path from a political standpoint. Do you think it's smart that the president wrapped this up before 2020 kicks into high gear? Or should he keep China as a political pinata, so to speak, as he heads into the the 2020 cycle? 
Uh, I think there's a couple of different ways that you can look at this. I mean, number one, anybody looking at this issue has to acknowledge that unless these talks uh, talk about enforcement, there will be no deal, right? So the business community is very adamant about this, and it doesn't seem something that the president is willing to address. I think this makes the president and his advisors look weak. We know that there will be no deal unless this is addressed. Now, on the other hand, I think it's a positive thing that there has been um, you know, a lot of progress in terms of tariffs uh, and other parts of the conversation. But you know, contrary to the president's own proclamation, he's actually not a good deal maker and hasn't shown to be thus far in his administration. So there's a real lack of trust about whether he has the stability to see this through. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think he's actually done a great job making deals in the first half of his administration in various ways, but he doesn't control China. And I think, frankly, although Lighthizer is doing a great job in this regard, um, we're only talking about a really subset of the issues between our two countries. And so I think it'll be interesting to see. We've had many deals with China in the past, and they haven't lived up to their obligations. Um, When you visit other countries in the region, like Australia and New Zealand I visited recently, there's a real fear of what China is actually doing. They say one thing and then they get in the door. They're buying up the farms. They're buying up the agriculture. They're buying up vertical uh, lines of distribution. And so I think that America needs to be very wary and careful because we've been lied to by China before. I think that's where you're going to see some agreement uh, between Democratic leaders and and not even like three minutes into the program. And I already have (laughs) Jennifer Holdsworth, Democratic strategist, and Harmeet Dillon, a Republican strategist, and of course, a a chairperson of the of the Republican Lawyers Association. I have them agreeing. (laughs) This is what we do. Well, I think I think you're going to find some agreement with the Democrats. We're not running for office. Maybe that's the reason. You know, just in terms of what Harmeet said about this being a subset of issues um, that are actually facing us concerned with China. No, I I was struck by everybody wants to know when President Trump and and President Xi Jinping of China are finally Mm going to have their meeting, Mm -hmm. likely down at Mar-a-Lago. At least that's the rub around the White House. Well, that's where Chinese spies go, so it would be apropos. uh, (laughs) Do we have like that, like the like symbols and the drums for a gong? Yeah. But but I was struck by the president saying, if there is a deal, then they will meet. Now, at face value, you're like, Kevin, that's not really breaking news. But it is because it suggests that President Trump is not going to have a face-to-face meeting and walk out like he did in, Viet- in Vietnam with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. What he is forecasting and what President Trump forecasted within the last 60 minutes is that when he meets with President Xi Jinping, it will be to formally wrap up the U.S.-China trade agreement, uh, which is a massive signal to the market. No? It is, but that is just the beginning of the process, not the end of the process. And I think that what I've seen, um, some smart commentators talk about this in the same sense as our relationship with Russia during the Cold War. We're really seeing a coming Cold War where we're talking about trust but verify. And so you saw in uh, the opening remarks here that uh, there's going to be a 120-day compliance period. That's pretty short for these types of uh, trade agreements. And so there is a real lack of trust here. And if we don't see follow through, then I don't think you're going to be having that same sanguine uh, approach from the markets. The president also has a habit of blowing up these negotiations in, in a various, you know, in various ways. So I think there's not only a lack of trust between our two countries, but I think there's a lack of trust in the market and the president seeing this through. But, but that's a style. 
it's a style to actually play tough, walk away from the table, know when to fold them and when to walk away. And it works for some people. It's been working for the president. And you know, I think we have to take a different approach because the approach we've taken previously with diplomacy has had America run all over. It's okay if you have a style, if you have substance behind it. That's not the case Well, here. respectfully to both of you, I thought the Washington national fans were more disrespectful to Mr. Harper of my Philadelphia Phillies the other day <laughs> than the president has been to Chinese President Xi Jinping. Look, I've covered President Trump virtually since the escalator when he was a candidate, and I have been absolutely I – mean, it's notable to see how restrained he's been in his commentary with Chinese President Xi Jinping. He's been tougher on some Republicans than he has been against Well, he respects China. China. I think he respects China. That doesn't mean he admires or appreciates what they're doing to our country, but they're – I think, viewed as an adversary and a worthy adversary. Let me, let me press you on this and, and, and ask a follow-up in the sense that when, when you look at the polls, there is mistrust of China. It's, it's universal. It spans the political spectrum. Democrats, uh, working-class voters on the left and on the right uh, you have that, that, that mistrust of China and, and are wary of its economic prowess in particular. So is it wise, Harmeet Dillon, to have the president being so maybe, I don't want to say, to, to use this rhetorical approach as opposed to, to beating up on China. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think what the, it's going to remain to see how this relationship evolves, but certainly you can't in the diplomatic world get to an agreement with a foreign nation while beating up on them. It isn't, you know, like a wrestling match here. You know, there, there does have to be that respect. But behind the scenes is where the devil is really in the details and how all these details are going to come together. And I think most importantly, the verification part. But you, you could show me all of those numbers and all the verification, and I will still believe China is going to be stealing, lying, and undercutting because that's how they've gotten to be a world power. How do Democrats, especially in the crowded 2020 field, and did you see this? Congressman Tim Ryan, uh, who was on the program the other week, he has formally uh, uh, saying that he's going to, to add his name to the uh, Democratic field. He comes from Youngstown, Ohio, one of ground zero for the economic trade war spats, disputes, call it what you want. But how do Democrats, Jennifer Holdsworth, in a crowded field where there is a lot of consensus on the issue of China, how do they differentiate themselves? Is it purely a matter of style in terms of the approach that they would take versus what the president is taking? I think you're going to see a, a wide range of um, policy prescriptions on trade, but more broadly about how this affects the economy um, as a macrocosm, right? So, you know, you're going to have people from the Midwest, from the Rust Belt, and, you know, specifically Congressman Ryan, um, you know, talk about the economy as not being that great, right? We, we hear the president crow quite often about how well the economy is doing. But a lot of the jobs being lost in that area of the country are a direct result of policies that this president is trying to pursue. But then on the other hand, you've got, you know, the far left of my party essentially meeting the far right of the Republican Party on the other side in terms of trade. You're going to hear from, you know, Senator Bernie Sanders 
in agreement with the president on a lot. So I think you're going to see a wide range here. Oh, I don't think these labels of far right and far left are really meaningful anymore. I think there's a fundamental different worldview amongst uh, you know people today. And it's very easy to say, well, some of these jobs are being lost in the short term. But in the long term, what did Barack Obama do for the people of Youngstown, Ohio? What have Democrats been doing despite all of their rhetoric in the Rust Belt for all of these years? They've done nothing. President Trump is actually the first president in generations who's put an emphasis on growing those blue-collar jobs and respecting our borders and negotiating tough for America. I do want to uh, uh, note it's not just U.S.-China trade talks that are having developments today. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said uh, that she does not plan to use President Trump's NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA trade accord as leverage to advance other Democratic priorities. So it will stand on its own, quote unquote. It will stand on its own, uh, Speaker Pelosi saying uh, earlier today, which means sooner rather than later, we might have a vote on that. Coming up, we will talk more about the 2020 presidential field, plus how Republicans are hitting big tech panel stays. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio as well as Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Friday Eve, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News uh, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. President Trump, we were talking about earlier, saying that there might be in the next couple of weeks a trade agreement with China. He made those remarks just within the last 90 minutes or so. Inside of the White House Oval Office, he was seated next to Chinese Vice Premier Liu Hua, essentially the Treasury Secretary of China. Uh, the Chinese vice premier was in town the last couple of days meeting with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin as well as U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer. Meanwhile, there was some other major developments today, especially if you follow the central bank politics. Herman Cain, remember him? Herman Cain, 999. Remember that? The 999 plan. Uh, he is going to be named to the Federal Reserve Board, our very own Jennifer Jacobs, with that uh, scoop earlier today. Joining us to walk us through a bevy of different headlines, Jennifer Holdsworth, a Democratic strategist. She's an SVP at MWWPR. Uh, She's a former advisor to Congressman Seth Moulton and former New Jersey State Director for Hillary for America. And Harmeet Dillon, an RNC committee woman for California. She's a civil rights attorney and a board member for the Republican National Lawyers Association. All right, Jennifer Holdsworth, Herman Cain to the Fed board. This just about a week or so since Stephen Moore, another conservative of the previous or, or previously of the Heritage Foundation. What do you make of it? You know, I, I think we're used to um, you know appointments to the board of folks that uh, lean one way or the other. But I think it's very rare for them to be so overtly partisan, right? I, I think you saw Senator Romney even today um, expressing some surprise that this was um, in talks. He, he actually thought that the nomination may not go all the way through. He was not quite convinced that this was serious. You know, I think there's a, a couple of things here. Um, 
you know, uh, uh, Herman Cain has business experience, but I, I don't think it's very credible in terms of monetary policy. Um, on the other hand, you know, in, in an in an environment where we are constantly discussing, um, you know, the Me Too movement right now, I think everybody is forgetting that one of the reasons why Herman Cain was forced out of the presidential race when he ran was because he was accused of extremely inappropriate conduct when he was at the National Restaurant Association. And for this particular president to appoint him to that role, I think is very suspect. Uh, so I heard a lot of cheap shots there, but the reality is that these two uh, nominees from the president are actually quite different. Uh, one comes from more of a think tank academic uh, setting and I don't think was a particular supporter of the president, frankly, is, historically. And, he wrote, I, respectfully, I'm not, he wrote the book called Trump Economics. Trumponomics. Well, historically is what I'm saying. You know, there's the, the president has a long history. OK. And so, you know, he's been at Heritage. From, he's a mainstream conservative and he comes out of that different wing of the party. And then. Kane is a um, Tea Party guy and has this business experience that's very lengthy, as well as some experience in the banking sector. So let's not pretend like the membership on the board means that they're setting United States monetary policy. They're one of many, and it's really the chair of that commission that does that. In September, Herman Kane co-founded a pro-Trump super PAC called America Fighting Back. Uh, but but I, I think Harmeet makes an interesting point in the sense of let's dig beyond the punditry commentary of what the public knows of Herman Cain. And let's let's dig a little deeper. From 1992 to 1996, he served as a director of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, as well as deputy chairman and then ultimately chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Uh, he has advocated for a return to the gold standard. Uh, Jennifer Holdsworth brings up the point of Senator Romney I don't think it's anyone no, – no one's too surprised that Senator Romney's disagreeing with President Trump. But he is a member – Herman Cain was also one of his competitors, so there yeah. might be some salt so, some, there. Some bad – some, some, some snobbery there really is what it is. Well, I mean, but, but he is a member of the Senate Banking Committee, and that, of course, will have to advance mm -hmm. these nominations. So – you know, it is it is incredibly notable that, that Senator Romney is saying, hey, you might have a difficult path ahead. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, you look at sort of how these nominees on the Fed board are acting, and the president has been, you know, chastising Chairman Powell for quite some time. But now he's got two political pit bulls who are ready to go after after Chairman Powell should they get on the board, no? I don't know about political pit bulls again. Like I've known Stephen Moore since I was at Heritage in the '80s, and you know that it's 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 easy to characterize people that way. But I think he's actually a very thoughtful economist, and right, has, but he's not know, afraid to have a fight. I mean, he's well, he's, he's, he's a, not so afraid he, to echo President Trump. So he Trump. isn't some anodyne, right, you know, emasculated egghead. That's fine, and I, you know, that's in the, in the style of the president. I think actually, to the extent that I would call that a political have, pit bull. Well. You know, a pit, political pit bull with credentials, and both of them have good credentials. Pit bull, pit, potato, potato, pit bull, potato. Now, what are you? How is that going to in, in, excite the debate around what many would say is sometimes I find it fascinating. Others would characterize as boring monetary policy. Yeah, so I think this is a little bit of a chattering class issue. Um, you know, these these look interest rates are going to affect. All the people all the time right so if you really want to make this about main street and pocketbook issues and carry it into the 2020 conversation then yeah then it is something that i think press around the country is going to talk about but you know if we're talking about the the credentials of one person you know versus another whether they're too partisan or not that's not something i think is really going to penetrate on the other hand i i, I am willing to the concede that in in the grand pantheon 
of um, appointees that, you know, this president is used to making, you know, uh, at least these two aren't wildly out of the box. I'm old enough to remember when Larry Summers was too outspoken to be chairman of the Federal <laughs> Reserve and Senator Elizabeth Warren tanked his <laughs> his chances because he was too, I mean, that was know, five million news that, cycles ago. That was so. like, but, but I, but. In terms of where this goes, I mean, we can have there is a debate happening on Wall Street right now about whether or not there's going to be a recession in the next couple of years. No one wants a recession, but should there be one, uh, the president has set himself up well to blame Chairman Powell as contributing to a recession. And now he has two, I will say, vocal uh potentially vocal board members of the central bank to echo his criticisms. No, I think that's true. Um, his tweets have been not pulling any punches. The president's over the last few days Tell me on about this topic. It. And, 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 but, but, but again, you know, we're talking about one guy who's out of the Reagan revolution and then another who's from that Jack Kemp conservative, which is, you know, kind of where I come from in the party. And, 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 you know, these are, these are solid. They're, they're going to be resonant with the base. Let's put it that way. Yeah. All right. We're going to leave it there. Coming up, we talk about the 2020 presidential cycle, plus what Jamie Dimon has to say about that feud. Remember this feud that Jamie Dimon had with President Trump? I'll get to the latest on that. Panel stays. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Elon Musk, uh, well, Elon Musk, U.S. District Judge Allison Nathan telegraphed that her initial thoughts as the SEC and Elon Musk's lawyers presented their arguments over whether the Tesla Inc. CEO should be held in contempt for tweets, saying that it might have violated an earlier agreement. I'm Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I want to read now from what Musk's lawyer said Thursday in Manhattan Federal Court. What the SEC should have done was approach in good faith and try to work things out. The judge replied, my intent is not only to invite it, but to order it. So the back and forth for Elon Musk is going on. Remember all of those tweets that he did against, well, remember like the whole SEC scandal? We'll keep a close tab on that. There's been major developments with the U.S. and China. President Trump, within the last two hours, saying at the White House that they are nearing a deal with the Chinese and that when he announces such a deal, that meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping 
will ultimately come to fruition. It could come as early as the next couple of weeks, four weeks or so. It comes following intense trade talks between the U.S. and China that were based here in Washington this week with Chinese Vice Premier Liu Hua, who met with President Trump uh, earlier this afternoon and uh, with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. It's coming down to enforcement mechanisms. It's coming down to how the U.S. will be able to ensure that China follows through on their end of the deal. The Chinese according to our very own Bloomberg reporting, suggesting that they might make additional purchases on commodities as well as allow for the U.S. to make purchases on Chinese firms. That'll be interesting. The president's saying that he might have to keep some tariffs in place in the immediate short term to make sure that China follows through on their side of the bargain. Jennifer Holdsworth is a Democratic strategist. She's with us for the hour, friend of the program. Uh, And Harmeet Dillon, fresh off the plane from the West Coast, joining us live here in studio. She's an RNC committee woman for California, a civil rights attorney, and a board member of the Republican National Lawyers Association. Did you guys catch what happened with Jamie Dimon today? I mean, you, you can't make this up. Because remember back in last September... When Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon, he he got in a bit of a tiff with President Trump. Uh, he said last September that he could beat President Trump if he were to run for president. I mean, I take it you would disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a, that's a joke. Um, no way. But I mean, interesting. He seems to have come around today a bit to the president's. Tactics. It was no. it was pretty remarkable. I mean, I, I don't even think Senator, you know, Jennifer Holdsworth, I think Senator Elizabeth Warren might even agree with President Trump that Jamie Dimon. But who knows? Jamie Dimon's tough. I want to play for you what Jamie Dimon told ABC News about that tiff that he found himself in with President Trump. Here's Jamie Dimon. I shouldn't have said it. Uh, and, it and I more out of frustration and, and a little of my own machismo, but I shouldn't have said it. And uh, so um, it also proves I wouldn't be a good politician. So you're you're done with politics? Yes. No running for president for you? No. Ever? Well, I never say never to anything, but no. <laughs> Sounds like a no. I mean, Jamie Dimon's got his hands full with the Business Roundtable and a host of different other uh, efforts. Uh, but but I don't know, Jennifer. I mean, he's backing off. Okay. I mean, you know, I um, it, it would have been interesting to watch. I'll, I'll put it that way. But um, I don't think, at least from my perspective and from the Democratic Party's perspective, um, there there was anything to gain or lose by him challenging the president. Um, you know, I think that it would have been, um, you know, I, I think that maybe we would have looked at him and said, oh, you know what, maybe he has some of the same policies as the president, but, you know, there'd be a decorum there that we could respect. Or, But look, we've had a, a lot of disagreements with Jamie Dimon. So, you know, I, I don't think that it would have brought anything, at least to my side. But, you know, there's, there's so much going on uh, in terms of 2020 right now that um, taking one piece out of it is fine by me. Jamie Dimon's done a lot for apprenticeship programs. I will say that. But in terms of the crowded Democratic field, Harmeet Dillon, who gives you the most pause? 
Um, I mean, it's hard to see them. There's so many of them. But I think uh, this week, I think, you know, Flavor of the Week, but a judge has certainly been somebody who's, uh, you know, been impressive in his rhetoric and he's more moderate in some ways. But, you know, we've had this conference in New York going on right now and they're all all of the ones who are trying to moderate themselves, Beto and others on reparations, they're all backing off of that and going full uh, race hustler with this whole situation. And so I don't, I don't know whether any of them can distinguish. They're all running so far to the left that's going to hurt them so much in the general election that that's what I'm seeing as a Republican. Well, with the exception of Senator Sanders, Senator Warren, you, sort of, they, they, you know what they stand for in terms of their ideas that they're putting out. You might disagree with those ideas, but you know sort of what – what their what their positions are with with someone like Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, a Fort Bend, Indiana mayor, the anti Vice President Mike Pence, as you know, as they're calling him. Uh, I don't know what his ideas are. I don't know his economic record. I, like uh, the the jury's still out for for a host of voters on on all of them. Jennifer Holdsworth, how do the different candidates kind of do they do they need to be known for a certain thing, or is it just going to be a, a personality contest? I think that some of it is a matter of degrees. Like you mentioned Mayor Pete. Um, he came into this race attempting to change the language that Democrats have been using when it comes to election over the last elections over the last 20 years. So he's talking about broader themes such as freedom, democracy, security, things that the Democratic Party feels that the Republican Party has co-opted in the last couple of elections. He's so, a veteran. So, right. He's a veteran. So, but when he talks about terms like freedom, right, he's talking about, you know, freedom from student loan debt. He's talking about freedom to be able to love who you marry, free to make your own medical decisions, right? So he's trying to change language, which I think kind of sets him apart from the pack. But in terms of actual policy prescriptions between all of them, it's a matter of degrees for two reasons. A lot of these policies are what is going to attract a lot of new voters to the electorate in 2020. Um, a lot of them are very sound policy prescriptions. Now, me personally, I'll put it out there, I do not agree with the Green New Deal framework, but there is a wide swath of the of the country that is waking up to that type of issue and agreeing with it in terms of not just climate change, but uh, economic justice. So you've, you've got a lot of different thought leadership being put out by the 2020 PAC right now that I think that you're going to see a lot of them agree with because they're good ideas. Well, I agree that there are a lot of interesting ideas, but I think that the macro issue here is that the Democrats have set the stage here such that all of these nice words and concepts and themes and best laid plans are being laid uh, laid havoc because of the, the politics of racial um, spoils, uh, this Green New Deal, the hijacking of all this messaging by the very far left. I mean, like back to Mayor Pete. He was against reparations last week. Now he's all in favor of it because he has to be because everybody else is. And, you know, you see all of this race to the left. So I, I think it's very unfortunate because it would be great, actually, as a citizen to see a debate on these issues. Yeah, I but feel we're like not going to see that because but, they're all agreeing with each other on some of these issues because they have to. They're all playing nice right now. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, they're all playing nice. There's no reason not to right now. But, you know, when we talk about race now, I mean, we're on the radio, so you can't see me. I'm I'm a Caucasian female, right? But, you know, when I talk about it, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, race in terms of, you know, what you can get. It, this is a conversation about civil rights. So when you say that, you know, Mayor Pete was against reparations, he was never against 
reparations. What he wanted to do was have a conversation about how we talk about it in terms of criminal justice reform, economics. Um, so to agree to, you know, study how we talk about reparations is different from flip-flopping. Well, that's a lot of navel-gazing, in my opinion. I mean, in reality, our president has actually been the first one to institute criminal justice reform in generations. And so that's actually helping minority communities while others are simply talking about it. And so I, I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, this rhetoric on the left has really been hijacked by, by this sort of, um, you know, demands. We got to leave it there. I'm sorry, I can't, give, I can't give anyone the last word, but we're up against the, the clock has the last word. My thank to Harmeet Dillon uh, for her first time on the program and, of course, to Jennifer Holdsworth. That does it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.